Hello, and welcome to the Evolution Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Ferraro, here with Dave Sanders. Each week, we're going to talk uh, about a different aspect of how sports and technology are evolving, and ultimately how it's going to impact you, the sports fan. For uh, Volume 2 here, let me kick it over to Dave for this week's topic. This week's topic is um, thinking about how technology has impacted the popularity of the NBA, MLB, and the NFL, besides the ability to DVR games, so diving a bit deeper than that. Um, jumping back to our conversation from last week, we talked about the second screen experience, and of course, social media is a big part of that, so I think that's a good place to start this conversation. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're going to think social media, I think at this point, you really have to think the NBA. Uh, you know, they're really providing such a great access and amplification of, you know, not only the players, but the storylines. And I think the NBA is winning the social media war. I definitely agree. Their storylines set them you know, set themselves apart. Um, I think it really has to do with the dynamic of the player um, team relationship. So the players, especially the star players, really do have the power in the NBA over teams. Um, we see those storylines play out across um, social media over time. There's tons of speculation, um, more than we'd ever have through, you know, print or TV. Um, specifically, think about Windhorse making, you know, a whole career out of this, um, following oh, LeBron yeah. around and making that his thing. Um, you've got Woj, you've I mean, got Shams. There's NBA Twitter is a thing, and if you're a fan, you're usually a part of NBA Twitter. Yeah, I think at this point, everybody knows, you know, Woj and tries to say his name and can't, so they just cut it to Woj just to make it easy. Yep. Um, I mean, you know, if you want to know what's going to happen in the draft, just ask Woj because he can not tell you but tell you five picks ahead. So uh, he's made he's made a he's the guy to go to. He's the you know, he's the chef D of the of the NBA. So definitely see that one. And, you know, Shams is really blown up into something. I think he's you know, he's the next Woj. So Woj, is, Woj and Shams are going to be a nice big thing there. Exactly, and that's where it seems like all um, NBA fans go to find their news. It really is from Twitter and from this instant um, instant newsbreakers like Woj and Shams. Um, I think it also has to do with you know players feel empowered on social media kind of due to that dynamic we spoke about. They're unafraid to share emotions on social. Um, they have the ability to control the message, and they're not really worried about the consequences. No. Um, I think I said a lot of social media is, and I guess public relations in general, is controlling the message. Uh, so now, hey, players got a platform where they can speak directly, directly to their fans, directly to if they've got a beef with management. If you look back a couple of years ago, uh, you know, with Rondo questioning Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler or, you know, just that was on Instagram. But it's, you know, all the same stuff, you know, former Celtic teammates is my vets. You know, it, it, Rondo throwing bombs on shade on, on, on guys like Wade. That was a Yeah. A lot of times on social, it's not that um, not that direct. But calling you know the Celtics teammates my vets and uh, talking about how these uh, teammates Dwayne and Jimmy isolated themselves from younger teammates definitely was probably the most blatant you're going to see. Yeah, and I think if you bring in some you know not even two years ago, you look at some of the things that most recently happened in NBA. You had you know DeRozan get traded, Griffin get traded, and right. those are unexpected. I don't I don't think they saw those coming, and I think you totally see that in their social media. That's definitely true. I know Griffin had, they raised a um, a banner to retire his number in like the presentation to get him to stay a year or two prior to being traded. So these guys definitely felt like they were betrayed a bit and, you know, let it play out over social and didn't, uh, weren't worried about the consequences, weren't really worried about who was offended because they again have the power. Yep. You know, the NBA has really done a great job itself marketing the stars and the stars do a great job marketing themselves. But even if you step away from, you know, star players and look at probably, I guess, the contra- pre-draft controversy of the summer, 
Brian Colangelo and his 12 Twitter burner accounts. Allegedly. I'm sorry. Alleged burner accounts not run by him. Um, as the story came out this week, it, from his dad, it, it wasn't Brian, but right. you know, somebody else. Um, but you need to take a take. You know, you got a star player like Embiid just mocking Colangelo. Yeah, definitely. He, he even said that Eric Jr. was his favorite of the burner accounts, which was great. That that is pretty funny. I mean, you think back 10, 15 years ago, would you have a star player mocking owner? You know, part of upper management. Because you figure Colangelo was pretty high up the ladder. Definitely. It kind of makes you wish that back then we used to have this when. I know as a Flyers fan, when Lindros and Bobby Clark were going after it, I can only imagine what it would have been like. That would have been made for social media type event right there. I mean, it also, the, you know, players are able to kind of generate speculation, work on their brand. I mean, what, do you, what does it mean when, you know, LeBron takes his Cleveland pictures down? You know, what does it mean if, you know, all you see is Kevin Durant suddenly stops following the, the Golden State Warriors. I mean, it's, it is made for television, made for, it's really not even television, but social media, just to generate clicks and follows. It's, what, you know, you look at those things, what do all those mean? Exactly. Um, and I think that plays into um, the youth of the NBA fan. Um, it definitely is a younger fan. We're going to get into demographics a bit later. Um, but I think social media has played a huge part in the popularity of the NBA and how it's grown to be, um, you know, not quite where the NFL is, but it is definitely on the rise. I would 100% agree with that. You look, um, and I think they, they really have to credit David Stern and Adam Silver for that, because if you look, say, 20 years ago where the NBA was, where before they put the dress code in and things like that, um, you know, the NBA was kind of going through an image issue. And now you look at what you can do with social media, how they've ch- kind of changed how the image is, and, you know, more people than ever are following the NBA. And it makes for great topics for sports radio. Um, it definitely has plenty of storylines. There's always something going on. I know recently with the Kawhi Leonard trade, we had um, he may refuse to play for Toronto. Uh, maybe he wants to stay there and re-sign with them. He's warming up to it. You know, it's just every day there's a new update about that. Um, so there's definitely plenty to talk about, plenty for the talking heads on FS1 and ESPN to talk about every day. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those, the NBA has done a fantastic job of taking, you know, an 82-game season and turning it into a year-long season. Uh, they finish the playoffs, then you get the draft buzz, then you get the draft, then it's, well, what are those guys doing in summer league, followed by, you know, with free agency, then it's the season starts, then it's, you know, these teams are playing on Christmas. They, the NBA has done a fantastic job using social media to really generate some buzz and really making them from a kind of a what I would would have considered maybe 10 15 years ago more of a you know kind of a winter sport and you know kind of fills the space between the NFL and, and baseball into something that people follow year-round yeah that's definitely true let's transition a little bit to talk about the NFL um, so they haven't been as open to um, I guess the utilization of social media as the NBA um, they even in 20, I guess, October of 2016, the NFL warned teams against posting highlights on social media, um, which I definitely thought was odd. I get that they want to have, you know, the live rights paid for to be consumed and not just seen on Instagram or on Facebook. Uh, but they quickly reversed course on that uh, two months later and decided that they're going to relax the restrictions on in-game video and social media. Um, we've seen a lot of franchises even putting people, hiring people and putting them on the field to do Snapchat stories and get all that live content for viewers. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, the NBA has has the lead there, but I think the NFL is doing what it can now after seeing the success of the NBA to catch up. Um, you know, the NFL is kind of working through its own image problem right now. 
Um, and I think this is really where social media kind of looking forward is definitely going to help them. Uh, you, the more you see of the guys doing good things instead of domestic violence, concussions, you know, kind of all the negative things that you're saying, uh, I think really where social media is going to help them is, you know, if they can get more highlights out, you can see stuff that, you know, all the when Cam Newton goes out and does something good uh, or, you know, you get some Odell Beckham, you get a lot of those things, especially kind of right now where it's training camp season, you know, you keep seeing all these little plays and, and being a fantasy football guy, you know, Twitter's blowing up with those kind of things. That's a great point, um, especially in the fantasy community. But even overall, um, we're seeing tons and tons of clips being shared from training camp, stuff that usually we might not even care about seeing if it's just training camp practices or, you know, um, non-tackling drills. But people are eating it up, and it's creating more buzz for the NFL. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's I can tell you from a personal standpoint kind of how social media with, with Cam Newton has kind of changed my opinion. I live down here in North Carolina, so, you know, Panthers are the closest team. Uh, I'm an Eagles fan, world champions. Uh, but, you know, Cam's not always been my favorite guy. Um, you know, from a player standpoint, don't really have anything against him personally. Uh, but there were just some things where he was really going out of his way to – you know, give fans different things, sign things for fans. Yeah, he actually got a bow box. So if you're in a Bojangles, it's it's a pretty great, you know, they really should use his commercial where, you know, fans handed him a, a big bow box and then he went and sat with his quarterbacks and ate it while the fans ate it up. Uh, but you wouldn't see the little stuff like, you know, signing some stuff, giving some gloves, giving his headband to, to some, you know, some children with special needs. Yeah, he doesn't have to do that. Uh, and without social media, I wouldn't know anything about that. So for me, it's really kind of turned my image around a little bit for him. Um, really kind of maybe hey respect him a lot more see see the kind of different things that he does that's a really cool example um i wish those stories would get more pub than they even do but it is very cool that they kind of go viral uh, amongst the nfl community on twitter definitely you know it's one of those that if if you kind of look back before social media and it was just you know newspaper or tv um you know you really weren't going to see it that's probably not something that's going to catch you know that'll be on the cutting room floor of of a sports center or something like that so it wouldn't be there so you get to see those kind of things, and you get to see it from a lot of other players too. So you get to see, unfortunately, we see a lot of poor headlines when it comes to players and things like that, where this is you get to see some of the nice things. Yeah, it's, it's great to have that balance. Um, next, let's, let's transition a bit to Major League Baseball. Um, so they've been going through some things recently where Rob Manfred called out, I guess he didn't call out, but he did say that Mike Trout doesn't do enough to promote himself. Um, which was pretty surprising criticism of maybe the best player uh, in baseball and who's been the best player for a long time. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, I was kind of surprised. Um, I think Rob Manfred's a pretty calculated guy. The changes he's trying to make in baseball to appeal to the younger demographics, which I, I know we'll get into here in just a minute, uh, it just seems, you know, I think Trout is your biggest guy. He's going to be the – he should, if he's not the face of baseball, be the face of baseball probably for the next – 12, 15 years. Uh, you know, he's a young guy, great guy, plays the game, the, you know, as the old guys would say, the right way, uh, does those kind of things. So to see, to see Manfred really come out and say, hey, he could be doing more, why doesn't he do more, and almost kind of laying the blame of some of the MLB problems on his feet was a bit surprising. What are your thoughts, Dave? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, the fact that they he kind of mentioned that he doesn't do you know enough to promote himself and put his name out there and that's not why he's discussed or as well known 
just doesn't really seem to add up to me. I think it really has to do, if you go back to the NBA, I mean, Kawhi Leonard's talked about a ton and speculated about a ton only because of his talent. He never says anything. Nobody knows what his voice sounds like. He never appears on radio shows. He doesn't, um, you know, really even ever say anything. And that's not, that's his own, that's his own doing, but it is the speculation of he has the power. Is he going to force his way out of San Antonio, which he did? Um, will he stay in Toronto? If Trout had that kind of power over the Angels and could force his way to another team, um, I think it would be a lot different. Definitely. Um, but I do know one of the things that, that baseball is kind of doing well in the social media game is a lot of the, the team accounts. Uh, you know, they're pretty good about having banter back and forth with the other team accounts. Um, but if you look at the Mets' embarrassing loss here recently, uh, they really did a great job just, you know, kind of poking fun of themselves. Uh, you know, they were, they were in the process of suffering their worst loss uh, in franchise history. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, that was 26-4, to 25-4? Something like that. It, At it least was, 24. I don't know what the number was at the end. It, it was ugly. Um, yeah. it, let's just go with it was bad. Once they brought in Jose Reyes to pitch, I gave up on it, you know? Uh, you know, the fact that you stayed that long is pretty impressive. Because <laughs> um, I just saw something of like, oh, it's 19 to nothing. I'm like, that, is that a typo? What, was right. it 1-9? to nine? I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you take a couple, we'll take a couple of the tweets here real quick. And it's, you know, how, how do the, this is from the Mets making fun of themselves of, you know, how do you give up a touchdown and an extra point in the first? You know, then it's, oh, well, they ran back the opening kickoff. So then a touchdown and a field goal ties it. You know, Mets going, we just got to put a drive together. Like, those are little things that, as a Mets fan who's probably suffering through, this game is, is terrible and embarrassing. It gives you a little chuckle, kind of kind of makes you pull things back into, into perspective. Yeah, it's a great way to you know bond with your fans, provide some empathy, um, and let them know that you're experiencing the same thing that they are. Um, I think a lot of other sports do this very well too. You'll see some NBA teams engage with each other, um, some NFL teams occasionally too. Um, so it is very cool that they're actually hiring social media specialists to operate these accounts full time, have some personality. Um, a lot of times we think of brands as being very buttoned up and very afraid to show emotion and whatnot. But I think in this age of social media and, you know, voice search and stuff like that that's coming in the future, it's really important for brands to have a personality, a voice, and really connect with fans on a deeper level than just a one-way conversation. Definitely. Um, I, I think really how those those teams use social media kind of really plays into their image. Um, I don't want to necessarily call the Mets the little brother of New York, but when you compare it to the Yankees, the Yankees are the... Um, as my father, who's who's a New Yorker, explained it to me once, if you're a white-collar worker, you're probably a Yankees fan. If you're a blue-collar worker, you're probably a Mets fan. So you kind of get that a little bit with how they kind of poke fun at themselves and, and have a good time with it. Um, but just, you know, Dave, what do you think the impact of, a, of the death of the highlight shows like SportsCenter, how, how it used to be, probably not how it is now. Honestly, I, I've kind of shied away from it just based on it is. Uh, but how, how does the death of the kind of the old school Sports Center highlight show really impact you know national interest in baseball? Yeah, so I think this is a big thing that's really hurt baseball. Um, back when we used to have the sports centers that would run every night, be recorded and run nonstop, you know, the next day, you used to watch that to get your highlights of your own team, um, and you would there weren't DVRs back then, so you would possibly watch for an hour just to see the highlights of, you know, our in our case, the Phillies or, you know, whatever team. So you were being exposed to the daily highlights from every other game. Um, you know, with, with games on every single day for baseball, I think it's hard for the casual fan to stay abreast of all that if they're just checking in on their own teams, whether it's on local TV or it's on 
um, you know, just on the apps that they use for score watching or just checking like their team's website or app. Um, I don't think they're getting the national perspective because it is just one out of 162 instead of, you know, one out of 16 for football. Um, I think that really has hurt the sport because we're looking at it from more of a regional perspective and not the national perspective. Even looking at it like the home run race that was back in 1998 with um, McGuire and Sosa, I don't think that's even possible today. Oh, yeah. I think the home run chase, you know, if you kind of look back at the history of baseball, you know, strike in 93, cutting the season, or 94, I think it was, was a strike, you know, cutting the season short, those kind of things, that really kind of dampered baseball, where, you know, the home run race in 98 brought it back to national prominence, but you also didn't have social media. Right. So you, you had to tune in to catch it. You had to, you know, hated McGuire and Sosa hit another one. Like, you know, let me check that in. And even through, you know, Bonds, when he was smashing home runs left, right, and center and, and getting walked 300 times a year, uh, you know, still early social media. So you didn't have the, I can catch the 10-second clip on my phone. So you didn't right. have a second screen. You didn't have those things. But yeah, it, it'd be real hard for something, in, I think, in baseball to really kind of bring back that fan to really sit down, watch those three-hour games. Uh, and like you said, the season's long. So... If you catch it spring training, I want to see how my team's doing. Then you can almost tune baseball out all year, catch the all-star game, watch the home run derby if you enjoy it. And in about two, three weeks, you can kind of pick it up as we get towards September and August. Well, is my team in it? Oh, they're in it? Great. Now I can I can catch some things like that. Yeah, I think that definitely happens with a lot of fans. Um, I've heard before, too, it's not a great uh, national radio talking point. So back when um, SVP and Rosillo was on with um, Scott Van Pelt and Ryan Rosillo, they used to talk a lot of baseball segments where, like, tune-outs for the audiences. They didn't rate well. They'd get a lot of bad feedback, and eventually they just stopped doing it because it just wasn't, you know, a positive experience for the listener. Make, makes perfect sense. It, it, you know, baseball is very regional. It's still, you know, you kind of stick with the team you grew up. Yeah. But, you know, if you kind of look at the segments, it's not as exciting because you have such a long season and you don't have a lot of the the talking points and the bad blood that you get. I don't necessarily bad blood, but, you know, just some of the issues and, and storylines that crop up in the NBA, the NFL. Yeah, that's a great point. If you look at it, just like one more point on this, too, is you mentioned Bonds, McGuire, Sosa. In basketball, they're handling the ball maybe 50 times a game. In football, the quarterback's dropping back, I don't know, maybe 45 times a game. In baseball, they've got three at-bats and four, maybe four or five, whatever, and they may touch the ball in the field some. There's not the opportunity really to – you could go to a game and watch Bonds back in the day, and he might go 0 for 4, and you actually didn't see much, whereas in the NBA, they'd at least score something. or In, the, in football, they'd at least pass for something. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, the exposure is kind of less. It's – you know, baseball is very much a pitcher-catcher game with a hitter. So yep. really trying to keep the, the buzz of where we shifted as a society into the small bites and real tiny things, you know, and trying to keep you, keep you entertained has really kind of been difficult. Um, but I also think, you know, fantasy sports, as I kind of mentioned earlier, something I'm big into has really kind of changed how we consume sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just based on if you look at something like the NFL, you know, if you look back in 2005, there were 57 million people playing fantasy sports in, in North America, the United States, and Canada. Um, per stats.com, 73% of those played fantasy baseball or fantasy football, sorry. So 73% are playing fantasy football out of the 57 million. You know, only 35% are playing fantasy baseball, and, in, and actually only 23% played fantasy basketball. 
So I think this really kind of impacts your national interest in eSport, you know, how knowledgeable fans are about teams, players around the league. Um, you know, you look at what the NFL's done. The whole NFL red zone is, uh, personally, I think they specifically designed and tailored towards fantasy sports junkies. They definitely did, and it's become part of a lot of people's regular viewing habits. I know some people that, while they love watching their team every Sunday, they figure they can see all the touchdowns and big plays by watching the red zone just instead of watching their own team. Guilty. That, that's, <laughs> that is how I would I, – if you ask me, hey, you can watch – you know, two full games on a Sunday, or you can watch Red Zone for seven hours. I'm going to take Red Zone for seven hours. No commercials. You're seeing everything that happened. Um, I can keep track of my eight fantasy teams. I think it's eight fantasy teams at this point. Right. Um, you know, if when I need to. So I see somebody happens. They, they fill you in on all the big plays. You feel like you're not missing any action. Um, so it, it, it is. It's Red Zone's a great idea. It definitely is. Uh, jumping back to that stat you mentioned, it's only three years old, and I would have – I would imagine that fantasy football might even be up more with the, you know, introduction of daily fantasy, um, and that's pretty that's pretty well adopted now. Even though the TV commercials and whatnot have slowed down, um, DraftKings and you know, FanDuel and Yahoo definitely have a ton of users on there, and that's only, you know, increasing the knowledge of, um, you know, the fan base as they get to learn you know, these players across the country, and then they're watching them with the Red Zone. Um, so that definitely helps the national interest, but that doesn't really exist for baseball. Yeah, I would agree. If you ask me now and where this, the, the numbers are trending, you know, we were at 73% football. I'd say that probably stays pretty flat to maybe going up a little bit. That's a pretty high number. Um, if mm-hmm. I had to guess the more people are playing, but I'd say, you know, if you tell me three out of four uh, new people are playing fantasy football, I'd probably agree. Um, I'd say baseball's probably gone down and basketball's gone up. Uh, just as each league becomes either more relevant or less relevant, I think it really kind of makes makes that difference. I think you're right about that. I would I would assume that basketball has gotten a lot closer to baseball. Definitely, yeah. As one goes down, the other one's going up. And at some point, basketball I think will pass it from a fantasy perspective. It probably will. Next, we're going to look at the demographics of baseball, basketball, and football fans per the Huffington Post. Let's start with baseball. Yeah, baseball fans tend to be slightly older football fans, uh, more likely to be 56 to 60 or a little older than that. Slightly wealthier, which kind of makes sense. Uh, you've been, you're older, you work longer. Um, and they tend, the one that really surprised me is they're even more male skewing than the NFL or the NCAA. Yeah, that was really interesting to me. Um, do you think there's a reason behind that? Um, I, th- I think it kind of goes back to if you look at the popularity through this age range as they were growing up and moving into the workforce and things like that. You know, the, the NFL's been around, um, but if you look at kind of where the popularity is and being on every Sunday, probably wasn't happening. Same with the NBA. Uh, you know, you had those, the dream team and things like that. Then you had Mike through the 90s. But if you go back in the 60s, 70s, there's not, not, a, not a ton there that people would really recognize. Uh, but you kind of grew up with baseball. Uh, you know, my dad grew up watching, you know, he was at the Mets stadium. He was, you know, at Shea and... You know, my grandfather, if you called him during the ball game, he wasn't answering. So it was one of those, oh, he didn't pick up, ball game must be on because he was watching it every day. So it makes sense that those fans are going to be slightly older, a little more wealthy, uh, definitely compared to, say, where football fans are. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, speaking about football fans, as you mentioned, they are losing interest in the 20 to 29-year-old demographic, which has to be pretty concerning for them, especially as that age range is really rising for the NBA. Um, about 43% of the NBA's audience is under 35. So going back to some of the things we talked about, it's really, you know, easy to follow on social media. There are a lot of storylines that, you know, you can talk to your friends about and it becomes very buzzworthy. Um, I think that definitely has to do with it. Is there anything else you think that may contribute to that? 
Oh, I think it's just being, as you can see, where we talked last week with the second screen and people are looking to consume more and honestly, they're more distracted. It's it's the sports that's being proactive and keeping up with things that are really going to excel kind of going forward. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Let's kind of get into, as we close things out here, you know, which sports do you think have been the most proactive and adapting to the times? Um, if I if I had to rank uh, kind of the big three of baseball, football, and basketball, I'd say most proactive has that has hands down has been the NBA. Uh, really use social media. The players have figured out social media how to use it. Uh, I think the NFL, while was pretty far behind, has caught up. Definitely not passed, but I think they're doing a lot better and will I think continue to get better. Um, as they realize the marketing machine that is social media with getting caught up and adapting to the times. And honestly, the one lagging behind is baseball. I think we talked about that earlier with, you know, Rob Manfred calling them out. Yeah, they're doing a little bit, but I think they really could do more. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, Next time, we're going to talk a bit about the distribution of digital live rights. Um, I think baseball in that area, they've been ahead of the curve with MLB TV, um, with streaming games on Facebook. I think they're working hard to, you know, get ahead of that game. But in terms of growing the brands of, you know, its players and creating national buzz about its sport, you know, on a daily or weekly basis, they definitely fall behind there. Definitely. I, I, that's kind of where I agree. So, I mean, sneak preview next week, in case you wonder what topic was, digital, digital distribution of live rights. Um, and with that, I want to thank everybody for taking a, taking a good half hour out here with, uh, to spend some time with us. I hope you really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a lot of fun here talking with you, Dave. Uh, if you haven't, make sure you like us, rate us, subscribe, uh, leave us some feedback. Uh, it's really greatly appreciated. It means a lot to us. That's how we get better. Keep getting you the topics that you want to know about.